we are working our way through first and second Samuel. We have started second Samuel, but we're trying to do it in a chronological way. So we come to Psalm 18, and that's where we'll be this morning, Psalm 18. And in these periods of time, David would write psalms as he was going through different things. In most of the psalms, they will give you a little summary of what the psalm is about before you read the psalm. David writes Psalm 18 on the day or on the time that the Lord has delivered him from his enemies and from the hand of Saul. Saul has been killed in battle. And David writes to the chief musician or God himself. David writes from the perspective of being a servant of God. David will write of himself and his descendant, Jesus, the Messiah. And this is kind of intermixed messianic psalm along with David and the Lord Jesus. David is not happy or delighted at the death of Saul. In fact, he's sorrowful. He's mournful. But he's also, he's been on the run from Saul for so many years that there has to be some relief there, if nothing else, that he doesn't have to run anymore from his king. It's a sad, sweet, mixed emotion time for David. David was so desperate that he sought uh, safety among the Philistines. Uh, he writes this psalm, probably from Ziklag, where the Amalekites have burned it and destroyed it. David has went out with his 400 men or whatever, recaptured his wives and children and his herds and his wealth from the Amalekites. And David gets the news that Saul is dead. And Jonathan, his closest friend ever, is also dead. And many Israelites lie dead from being slaughtered by the Philistines. And as David sits there in the smoldering ruins of Ziglag, he writes this psalm inspired by God. Psalm 18 is a three-part psalm, and uh, we'll get into it. Probably won't get all the way through it. In fact, I know we won't. We'll only get halfway. But uh, let's start off with Psalm 18, verses 1 through 6. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust. My shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, so shall I be saved from my enemies. The pangs of death surround me, and the floods of ungodliness make me afraid. 
The sorrows of Sheol surround me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried out to my God. He heard my voice from his temple, and my cry came before him, even to his ears. Verse 1 here, David declares, I will love you, O Lord, my strength. David is making a promise to God of his deep felt emotions. God has delivered David with a strong providential hand. And David has in the past declared God's goodness by faith. But now David has received the deliverance of God. And it's kind of like you've been faithful and I will continue to love you, Lord. In this post-victory... Over his enemies, this comes forth from David. I will love you. And David says, you're my Lord. You're my rock. My fortress. My deliverer. You're my strength. And David admits that God deserves his trust. Have you ever felt like you were one of those people that not necessarily all the promises of Lord of the Lord applied to you? That some way, somehow you fell through the cracks. <laughs> I can encourage you to trust the Lord. It, the problem comes when I have to trust God for myself. And we feel like we've been overlooked, perhaps. Maybe you've sinned, and you feel separated from God, and subconsciously you feel, how can God bless me when I'm so disobedient? David recently in his life has repented. He's repented of his aligning himself with the Kish, the Philistine king, and this time in his life where he was kind of like a vigilant, Vigilante raiding all these other tribes and murdering and stealing for his livelihood. But it says David was strengthened. He was strengthened by the Lord in repentance. David repenting has opened the door for God to now bless him. That alone should encourage us to repent. David has just given back to God. Uh, back, God has delivered back to David, I should say, his wives. He lost two of his wives. He lost his riches uh, there at Ziklag. And the Amalekites came in and raided his town while he was away. And then verses 4 through 6, we have David, the valiant warrior, crying out to God, for the same reasons you and I cry out to God. Usually when we face deep distress, our prayers become more fervent. Our sincerity becomes greater. And I find that my prayer life increases in my difficult times. Maybe you're not like me. David is being pursued by those who want him dead. 
Saul is now out of the picture, but there's others that line up to seek David's life. And David is confronted by death, and he cries out to God, and note it says, in his temple. This is before the temple in Jerusalem has even entered the mind of David to build, then his son Solomon built it. There is no temple except heaven. But David cries out to God in his temple, and we have a conclusion there. God and one person makes a majority. David has been, it says, depressed by the floods of ungodliness that are all around him. Have you ever been distressed by ungodliness all around us? Watch the news tonight if you haven't. We are bombarded with ungodliness. Recently, we went through an election here in Alabama, and it was overwhelmingly ugly, the Senate election and the accusation and the mudslinging that went on were wearisome. You, you hated to turn on the news just to watch it because you knew what was coming. And all oh, their commercials were so wearisome. But don't allow your anger, perhaps, to get the best of you or control your emotion. David cries out to God in his temple. And God hears David. And David is then allowed to see God's deliverance for himself. God hears David. And God, omnipotent control of the earth and the past and present, is then brought forth by David in the next few verses. Let's read those verses, 7 through 15. Then the earth shook and trembled. The foundations of the hills also quaked and were shaken because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens also and he came down with darkness under his feet. And he rode upon a cherub and he flew. He flew upon the wings of the wind. He made darkness his secret place, his canopies around him was dark waters and thick clouds of the skies. From the brightness before him, his thick clouds passed with hailstones and coals of fire. The Lord thundered from heaven, and the Most High uttered his voice, hailstones and coals of fire. He sent out his arrows and scattered the foe, lightnings in abundance, and he vanquished them. Then the channels of the sea were open. The foundations of the world were uncovered at your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils. David has just described what we would call cataclysmic events. And they were set upon the earth, and they were set upon the earth sometimes, not always, but sometimes, in answer to the cries and prayers of his people. Allow me to remind you of a couple of these events. In chapter 10 of Joshua, Joshua and his army is in battle with the Ammonites. 
The battle is going good for Israel. God has promised Joshua victory in verse 8 of Joshua 10. But let me read you verse 11 through 13. And it happened as they fled before Israel and were on the descent of Beth Horon that the Lord cast down large hailstones from heaven on them as far as Azekah, and they died. There were more who died from the hailstones than the children of Israel killed with the sword. And then Joshua spoke to the Lord in that day when the Lord delivered up the Ammonites before the children of Israel. And he said in, <clears throat> in the sight of Israel, Sun, stand still over Gibeon, and moon in the valley of Abijon. And the sun stood still, and the moon stopped, till the people were revenged upon their enemies. And this is this not written in the book of Jasher? So the sun stood still in the midst of the heaven, and did not hasten to go down for about a whole day. That's sort of a miraculous event. But notice before the sun stood still, the Lord cast down large hailstones from heaven upon the Ammonites. And he, the Lord killed more of the Ammonites with hail from heaven than Israel's army did with the sword. And then Joshua is encouraged and he prays to God and he prays openly in the presence of all of Israel. Listen to his prayer. Lord, cause the sun to stand still uh, over Gibeon. Cause the moon to stop also. The earth stops spinning on its axis. The moon also locks up into its orbit around the earth. But Joshua's prayed for the sun to stand still. It only reveals God knows what we need before we even ask. For him, the sun stood still, Joshua that is. God stops the most basic thing that we know of in our world, and that's the earth and its rotation. God stops it. Because one man, a man of God that God delighted in, prayed by faith for the sun to stand still. God in one is a majority. There's another miracle in 1 Samuel 7, and it's against the Philistines. 1 Samuel 7, 8 and 9, two verses. So the children of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. And Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. Then Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. One more verse. We now have a thunderstorm. <laughs> now as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel, but the Lord thundered with a loud thunder upon the Philistines that day and so confused them that they were overcome before Israel. This is one loud thunderstorm. And notice it's upon 
the Philistines, not Israel, but Israel is in hand-to-hand battle with the Philistines. And God draws a line there, thunder here, no thunder here. And probably lightning was accompanying this. Now that's a loud thunder when you get confused by it. And it so confused the Philistines that Israel overtakes them and slaughters them. Verse 13 of that same passage tells us, And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel the prophet. And as David pens this Psalm 18, he speaks of God's power over nature, over creation, and the great ability of God to forgive. God in his loving mercy to forgive and deliver us his people. And David gets personal. And he writes of himself and he writes of his descendant, the Messiah. And that's in Psalm 18, 16 through 24. Let me read that to you. Verse 16. He sent from above, he took me, he drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, for they were too strong for me. They confronted me in the days of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He also brought me out of a broad place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanliness of my hands. He has recompensed me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his judgments were before me, and I did not put away his statutes from me. I was blameless before him, and I kept myself from iniquity. Therefore the Lord has recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanliness of my hands in his sight. And this is where we see that messianic part of this psalm come forth. David is writing of himself and Jesus. God delivers David, and he also delivered Christ. Verse 19, we read, God delighted in David, and of course, Jesus. And the reason God delivers is his delight. God takes pleasure in David and, of course, his son, Jesus. And David is speaking of God's goodness. After David repents, and he, he, was, <laughs> he repented a lot <laughs> because he sinned a lot. And he strengthened himself in the Lord through repentance. David is now able to speak to God as one forgiven and cleansed by God. It wasn't that long ago in David's life where he was living a sinful life. He was murdering. He was marauding. He was a vigilante. He was out there stealing and killing. And now David's life has been turned around and strengthened 
by repentance. We see David speaking for Christ. Christ obeyed all the ways of God the Father. We hear Jesus say, I do nothing apart from my Father's will. What a statement. Jesus was blameless before God the Father, i.e. sinless. He never sinned. That concept blows my mind. <laughs> Therefore, God has recompensed, counted Jesus worthy to be delivered by him, God the Father. When David writes of the power and love of God to deliver him, he also writes how God will deliver the Christ. We read how God cannot be stopped from delivering David or Jesus. F.B. Meyer, a commentator, he writes how the resurrection of Christ was the greatest victory ever in heaven and on earth among men. Absolute greatest victory. And he speaks of how Satan and his host had done everything possible to keep Jesus in the tomb dead. Satan knew a resurrected Jesus would spell his defeat. So at the tomb, the tomb of Jesus, there were more than a few soldiers. There was guards there. There was more than the Roman power being enforced here. It was more than the temple guards of the Jewish faith. Satan was there also in force with all his host. He's got to keep Jesus in that tomb. And Satan, working in his human disciples, who were the chief priests and the Pharisees, well, they go to Pilate, with, and they have a great concern. Let me read you Matthew 27, 62 through 66. Pilate sets a guard on the next day, which followed the day of preparation. The chief priests and the Pharisees gathered together to Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember while he, speaking of Jesus, was still alive, how that deceiver said, After three days I will rise. Therefore command that the tomb be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say to the people, he has risen from the dead. And here's their conclusion. So the last deception will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, you have a guard. And they did have a, a, a temple guard. Go your way. Make it as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure, sealing the stone and setting the guard. These religious leaders understand that a risen Jesus is a much greater opponent to them than a dead Jesus. Pilate gives these Jewish leaders permission to secure the tomb, tomb rather, 
as best as you know how. So who is sent to the tomb to secure it? The bravest and the best temple guards that were there. And Satan and his hosts, including the Jewish leaders, well, they're soundly defeated by Jesus, risen by the power of God the Father. The greatest victory in heaven and in earth ever. And then we read how God rose Jesus. Verse 20, uh, chapter 28, 2 and 3. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door, and he sat on it. His countenance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. The very thing David has wrote about in his psalm. There is a rattling, a rattling of the earth, a great earthquake, and it's there for God's purposes. Jesus is to be risen in power. Notice how Jesus is dressed. It even tells us his appearance is like lightning, clothing, white as snow. Satan and his hosts are defeated by the awesome power of God. Because God delighted in his son and he delights in David and he delights in us, you and I, his people. But resurrection is the cornerstone of our Christian faith. We as Christians have available the very same deliverance that was given to David and given to Jesus. And don't miss this, because God loves us and he delights in us. There you are. It's not what we do. He delights in us. Such love by our Lord. Let me get you to stand and we'll close in prayer. Maybe you're facing a difficult time, troubles, worries, and we all have them. Realize that God delights in you. You're his son. You're his daughter. You're his, and he delights in you. We'll have people in the prayer area that will be happy to pray with you over any issue. Take that opportunity to pray. For God's deliverance. Amen. Let's pray. Father God. Thank you for resurrecting Jesus. For defeating death in the grave. You give us hope through the resurrection Lord. And David writes so boldly. That you delighted in him. And David was just like us. He was sinful Lord. And if David receives your delight we also can receive your delight. So, Lord, whatever we're facing, help us to understand you're ready and quick to deliver us. You're our Lord. You're our God. You're our healer. You're our provider. You're our all in all. And we just want to express our thanks to you for overcoming the grave through Jesus, your Son, Father. What a great victory. 
May we apply that to our lives in all that we do. And we thank you again for loving us so much and delighting in us. And it's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.